It's time for Dodger baseball. The sports department at WFUV and the history behind it are a story largely untold. That is, until now. The voices that have shaped the student-run station for the last seven decades dive into their time at Rose Hill. This is the Off the Air Podcast, the legacy of WFUV Sports. Welcome to our first March edition of the Off the Air podcast. Emmanuel Barbari with Andrew Posadas on this edition. Baseball is in the air. It's fresh. Spring training, the pop of the mitt, the crack of the bat. And with that, no one better to talk to this week and reflect on the Fordham FUV and career journey than someone who's basically on the Mount Rushmore of prominent FUV alums. And Andrew, that's Michael Kay. Yeah, when we talk about what this podcast is supposed to be, we're interviewing the biggest, most notable alums that have passed through Fordham and have passed through FUV. And you can't mention that Pantheon without Michael Kay. And it was just an honor for us to kind of talk with him and get more of an insight in his time here at Rose Hill. And that time at Rose Hill doesn't go without his lifelong friendship with Mike Breen that spans back to their time at Fordham and WFUV. So, Andrew, I'm really excited to ask Michael about the origins of that friendship and also how it's impacted his life to this day. Yeah, and uh, imagine that with with Mike Breen, you know, the rapport, just the, the guys who have gone through FUV, and for Michael K himself, we knew he was the sports director. So I, I'm interested to see how that was like juggling the relationships being a student, but also having that responsibility as sports director to just oversee the entire department. A, a lot on Michael's plate, but as we're going to hear from him, something that he was ready for and he thrived, and we've seen how it's worked out for him since. Right ahead of his 30th year of Yankee baseball, excited to chat with Michael Kay. But before we do that, let's learn a little bit more about this week's guest on Off the Air. This week on Off the Air. Michael K. A 1982 Fordham graduate, Michael served as the sports director, writer, a reporter, and host of WFUV's One-on-One. K. started his professional career with the New York Post in 1982, a general assignment writer covering college basketball, the New Jersey Nets, and Yankees in 1987. In 1989, Kay left the post for the Daily News, still primarily working on the Yankees. At this time, he also worked as Madison Square Garden Network's Yankee reporter. In 1992, he served as MSG's locker room reporter for the New York Knicks. He had previously worked for the network as a contributor on the news format sports show, MSG Sports Desk. Kay hosted a sports talk show on WABC in 1992 before joining radio broadcasts of the New York Yankee games beside John Sterling. Kay spent a decade partnered with Sterling as the radio announcers of the team before becoming the TV voice of the Yankees on the Yes Network. Since 2002, Kay has held the Yankees play-by-play post, hosted the daytime drive Michael Kay Show, 
and award-winning center stage. Here's the Off the Air podcast with Michael K. Michael, appreciate you being here. You got it, guys. My pleasure. So, Michael, let's start with your roots in the Bronx and Fordham. When did it creep into your mind that sports broadcasting was where you wanted to be in your life? Well, probably crept in when I started to get afraid of uh, being hit by a pitch. You know, I, I wanted to be involved with the Yankees in some way. And, you know, when you're a young kid, you want to play for the Yankees. And I just knew that I could. And I was a very rational young man. Let's put it that way. So at the age of nine, I said, well, I'm not going to play for them. So uh, now I want to be their announcer. Obviously, a pie-in-the-sky kind of dream, but that's when it first entered my my thought process that, that that's what I want to do. And, you know, all these years later, here I am. I'm about to start my 30th year doing it, so it's kind of amazing. And, Michael, when you think about that, your sister Debbie ended up going to Fordham. Did that make it an easy transition for you, knowing what you wanted to do, that Fordham was going to be the spot for you to continue growing and searching for your career? Andrew, I'll tell you what, that was that was like the biggest thing. You know, Debbie paved the way for me in high school. I went to Bronx Science right after she did. And uh, then uh, when she went to Fordham, you know, I got a chance to see Fordham uh, when I would, you know, go visit her. Uh, so it was a place that I liked. I knew that FUV existed. And uh, the funny part is, is that when I was a freshman and she was a senior, um, I, I would sleep in my car uh, between classes. I was, I was a commuter. Uh, I didn't really socialize that much. I was kind of shy. And she kind of just dragged me out of the car one day. And she said, you know what? You want to be a broadcaster, you just go up to WFUV. So she kind of uh, pushed me a little bit. If she wasn't there, I don't know if I would have had the gumption to do it. She brought me to the uh, – first I started writing for the Ram, and then she brought me to uh, FUV, and uh, I became a part of FUV, and I never looked back. You're at FUV, and you're looking to forge your path, and then you run into one Mike Breen. And the story – He ran is into me. <laughs> okay, so with that being said, what do you recall about that interaction? Well, it's funny because I was a year um, ahead of him uh, because I had skipped a grade. So we're the same age, but I skipped eighth grade. I went from seventh to ninth and uh, I was just at FUV and I was already comfortable there. And, you know, the way he tells it, he was very uncomfortable. He just didn't feel like he fit. And, uh, you know, I think he unfairly gives me credit for, you know, um, making him feel comfortable there. But he walked into the station one day when it was on the third floor of Keating Hall. And I was having this dramatic, uh, you know, um, argument with a young lady how, you know, I was saying, I know she wanted to date me and you know, why can't she just admit it? And it was all kind of tongue in cheek. And uh, the way Mike tells it that he saw this and said, this guy's really secure. I, I want to, you know, he looks like a guy that would be fun to hang out with. So he introduced himself to me and then I introduced himself, uh, him to all of my friends and all of a sudden he felt comfortable rather than trying to fit in with people that he didn't know. And, and uh, you know, as they say, the rest is history for him. You have that And that story. girl never dated me, by the way. Never <laughs> dated me. <laughs> you have that story sitting down with Mike and dreaming about what could be. He was the voice of the Yankees, Mike as the voice of the Knicks. All these years later, how impactful has that relationship, that friendship been to you? You know what? We, um, it's important to have somebody who, who knows – honestly, what you're going through, you know, you could talk to people, friends that aren't in the business and they don't quite get the things that are affecting you or things that might bother you that they don't understand because they're not 
the ones with the earpieces in and, and they're not the ones hearing people talk in their ear and stuff like that. So Mike and I have, have, have lived the same life, you know, he, he with the Knicks and me with the Yankees. And um, not only is he, you know, he's, he's one of my best friends, if not my best friend, if there's an issue or if I need advice, uh, I know I could call him and he feels the same way about me. So um, when he walked into that station, you know, all those many years ago, uh, that forged the relationship that I'm sure that will be with us until, you know, we, we are no longer here. So it's, it's, it's so invaluable to have a friend like that and a sounding board who's been there, done that, and knows everything that you might be going through. And Michael, you mentioned working at FUV, also working at the Ram. I've had the privilege to do the same as well as E-Man. Can you just kind of take us into a week in the life of Michael K throughout certain parts of the semester where you have broadcast, you might be going to cover a Yankees game, you have production nights at the Ram. Can you just kind of take us into a week at your busiest when you were at Fordham? Well, it's it's really weird because, um, you know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't living on campus, so I was a commuter, but I spent like almost the whole day there. You know, I get there and whenever my first class was and anytime I wasn't there, I was in the radio station or I was in the uh, the newspaper. And, and it's funny because I was at the Ram for two years and uh, when they didn't make me the sports director, then I decided to go to the paper and I became the sports director there. And, um, you know, just just to tell you how it works, like um, the night that John Lennon was killed, we were putting the paper together. And uh, so we had to tear the whole thing up because we wanted to have, you know, John Lennon uh, on the front of it. And I ran upstairs. I always remember this. I ran up to, to Keating Hall to FUV because they had a ticker tape machine there uh, that would like spit out the news. I, I don't think that that exists anymore. So I grabbed the, the alert that said John Lennon has been shot and killed in front of his apartment. And I brought it back to the, the paper. And the paper, I, I don't believe it was in Keating Hall. It was another building. I can't recall. And um, I ran it over and, and we actually put the, the uh, the ticker um, announcement that John Lennon had died from the Associated Press, and we put that on the front of the paper. And uh, it was like, I wish I had kept that paper because we did a really good job tearing up the paper and kind of putting it back together. But everything revolved around um, FUV, the paper. If you couldn't find me, if I wasn't in a class, I was there, or I was in the, the campus center, you know, with my buddies, you know, having lunch or, or whatever the case may be. So. Uh, I would probably be at Fordham from eight o'clock in the morning until 11 o'clock at night. And I probably just slept at home. When you jog that FUV memory, you have road trips, you have games. Is there a unique experience or road trip that sticks out that'll always carry with you? Well, there's one that uh, I wasn't even on and it, it sticks with me. Fordham was playing Holy Cross and um, it was my senior year and I was the sports director and um, uh, I had mono. So I couldn't go to the game. I was supposed to announce that game and I was home with a high fever. And I just kept getting calls that the announcers aren't here. The announcers aren't here. And it was Bob Rinaldi, who is um, Tom Rinaldi's brother. You know, Tom Rinaldi now of Fox Sports used to be on ESPN. And uh, he was one of the announcers. And Eddie Caginelli was the other. And he was my assistant sports director. And they weren't there. And it was like a half hour before. And I had a rule as a sports director that you had to be there like two and a half hours before the game. You had to. And if you didn't, you get suspended. And I also had another rule that you couldn't say we. You could never call Fordham we. Um, I said, because we're not them. We're just, we're the media. But um, I kept getting phone calls. I had like 103 fever and they're not here. They're not here. They're not here. And finally, 
they showed up. I mean, I'm, I'm like perspiring amazingly. Forget about the fever. You know, how, if there's nobody to do the game, what's going to happen? And um, like 10 minutes before tip off, they showed up. And at halftime, I got them on the phone. I said, what, what, what happened? Well, Holy Cross is in Worcester. Well, Bob being, I mean, Bob works for the U.S. Uh, Treasury right now, so he's a pretty smart guy. He goes, I'm driving, I'm driving, and uh, we didn't see any sign for Worcester. He said, finally, I pulled over, and the guy said, you passed it an hour and a half ago. I said, well, how did you miss the sign? And he goes, I thought it was spelled W-O-O-S-T-R, but Worcester spelled W-O-R-C-E-S-T-R. He didn't know how to spell the place that he had to go. So he almost missed the game. So that's something that will always stick with me. And another one is when we all did, um, we went to Notre Dame to do the game. And, um, you know, we traveled with the team, the announcers that were going to do the game. And then, but all of our buddies came and they all drove. And Mike Breen drove. He wasn't on the broadcast. And I remember all of us piled into one hotel room and Mike slept on the top of the rack where you hang the clothes. I don't know how he got up there, but that was the only free space to actually sleep. So uh, that that's always um, an amazing, you know, amazing memory. Fordham ended up losing, but you know, we got used to that. But uh, that was an amazing memory that night. Michael, it's interesting because you were the sports director at, at FUV, and you're also a student. So how do you toe the line between obviously you're one of the guys, but you are the supervisor, you are in charge. How was that? You know, uh, juggling those responsibilities as the sports director in your time with FUV. It was it was tough, Andrew. It really was. Uh, it was it was like the sort of deal where uh, a guy who becomes a manager that had been a teammate for so long, you know, I was still their friend, but they understood. You know, they they made it very very easy. The thing that was was difficult that that you know being a sports director back then was like a full time job, where you had to order the telephone lines to broadcast on the road. You had to put together the travel. You had to put together the schedules. It was all, you know, the sports director. And it wasn't a position where you even got credit. You didn't get school credit. And I believe that now you, you get, you'd get a little bit of a stipend too. That was not the case back then where everything was done, you know, for the experience. And then you had, you know, a full load of classes as well. So it was like having, you know, two and a half full-time jobs, you know, classes, a job, FUV was a job. And then the paper, which only, I think it came out once a week. That wasn't a full-time job, but it certainly was a responsibility for sure. But in terms of like being the quote unquote boss of your friends, they made it easy. They understood, you know, I wasn't one of these hard edge guys. I just made up the schedule. That's when they sucked up because they wanted to do games. So when I made up the schedule, <laughs> they, you know, they all of a sudden, you know, buying me beers at the Ramskeller and stuff like that. But uh, it worked out. Everybody, we're still friends. So I didn't mess it up that bad. So you're the sports director at FUV. Then you go on to write for the daily news and the post. How did those professional relationships you forged at FUV pay dividends earlier in your career? Well, the, the, one of the, the main reasons I got the job at the Post was um, we weren't able to get a lot of credentials to the, the major sports back then. And I, I worked at it, and I, I'd get an occasional Nick game, get an occasional Yankee game, but not like a full pass or anything like that. So you had to really make the most of it. And the times that I went to the, the Nick game, I, I was a big reader of the New York Posts back then. And I just introduced myself to Peter Vesey. And I, I somehow convinced him to come on to one-on-one, um, -on -one, which was on 11 to 2 in the morning, 11 at night to 2 in the morning on Sundays at that point. 
And uh, he said the, the only way he would do, he didn't want to do three hours on the phone, but I had to pick him up. He lived in Stuyvesant town in Manhattan. And I had to make sure that he had a cherry pie. So uh, in my senior year, we must have, we must have had him on three times. I mean, just think about that. Having like the preeminent, he's a hall of famer now come up to the studios and sit there and take phone calls and take questions from people. And I just forged a relationship. I like him. He liked me. And uh, so when I got out of, uh, when I graduated from Fordham, I was not ready to be on the air by any stretch of the imagination. I had a really thick Bronx accent. And so um, I sent out resumes to newspapers and uh, my uncle, my uncle Danny, the late actor, Danny Aiello, knew somebody at the post. So they looked at, you know, my resume because he told them to, but they didn't really act on it. Um, and, but they, I knew that they had it. So I just called up Peter Vesey and I said, Peter, can you just tell me exactly what's going on just so I could move on from hoping that I'm going to get this job. And um, he called up the sports director at the time. He said, listen, don't jerk this kid around. Either you have something for him or you don't. Just don't jerk him around. And uh, the next day they called me in for an interview and I was hired to, uh, to be a clerk, you know, get people coffee and get people lunch, file pictures, do all the racing agate and stuff like that. And I turned that into like writing on my own time where I was off the clock. So I think my, my shift was like from maybe 10 in the morning until six o'clock at night. And so I figured, you know, if they didn't have a game covered, I'd volunteer to do a college game. So I would do that and I would write on my own time and I got paid as a writer, but then they ended up promoting me to writer and, you know, the post job turned into the daily news job and the daily news job turned into me getting the MSG position, doing the clubhouse uh, report on without Troutwig. And um, that got me the radio job and so on and so forth. And then it eventually got me the yes job. So it all started with that job with the New York post and my relationship with Peter Vesey. And Michael, you talk about those uh, occasional times where you would get credentials to, to professional games. Uh, a lot of college radio stations don't even have that opportunity at all. So for you, how vital was it for you to be in that atmosphere, to be in a locker room, to introduce yourself to reporters and, and transitioning from college to your career? How vital was it just getting those opportunities in the first place? It was, it was gigantic because it's not like you're getting, you know, um, credentials to a, a small college situation you're, you're seeing the big time at work and, and and more than even like meeting people although meeting you know Peter Vesey and introducing myself turned out to be you know a life-changing thing but just to see the work that went into it the seriousness of it and how people comported themselves and you know how, how you interviewed athletes you know I, I did a lot of watching a lot of uh, a lot of observing observing so that when I was in that situation as a professional you know you envision yourself that way and how I would want to be acting and how I would want to be treated and how I would want to treat athletes. So I think it's invaluable, especially when you're at the level in New York and you get to see how it's done at Madison Square Garden and Yankee Stadium. And at the time, you know, Shea Stadium, that was that was big. I mean, it, experience is so important so that the first time you're thrown in there as a professional, it's not, you know, it's not doing a belly flop into the pool. You've already been in there. You've swum a couple of laps. So that's uh, it was invaluable. Setting that goal at nine years old to be the voice of the Yankees. And then you just mentioned those steps you took along the way to get there. When you map it out, when you're young, you have the dream path of getting to that position. How did your path differ in any way? Were there any roadblocks or surprises along the way? It, it, it wasn't even close. I mean, when you're nine years old, you have no idea. I mean, I want to be the Yankee announcer. You don't know how you, 
supposed to become a Yankee announcer. That's your stupid dream. Um, and, and when young people ask me, you know, advice, I mean, my, my way was so funky and so different. I, I don't know if it could be recreated. I mean, it was so much fortune and luck involved. I mean, I'm not the most talented guy in the world, but I seem to always be in the right place at the right time. And, um, you know, the, the radio job. I mean, I had probably given up on being the Yankee announcer. I, I figured, okay, being the Yankee beat writer for the New York Post and the Daily News was, was what I was going to be. And then, you know, you start to map in your head, well, if you don't become an announcer, maybe you become a columnist and you could be a Mike Lupica or a Dick Young. Uh, and then, you know, John Sterling's partner on the radio quit. Didn't like him. They hated each other. Joe Angel hated each other. And they, he didn't have a partner. And then they tried out all these people, you know, 500 people, 5,000 people. And I don't know how I got the job. I ended up getting the job. I tried out and, you know, they had seen, um, they'd seen my work on MSG because it, it's funny how everything ties together, guys. It's like when I did one-on-one, -on -one, there was a guy who went to Marist who listened to one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, this was before FAN. And he loved it. He loved everybody on it. And he, he said to himself, if I ever get in a position, I'm going to hire these guys. He just loved listening to us. That guy was Mike McCarthy, who became the president of the, of the MSG network. I mean, just think about how lucky that is. And he was there when I was at the Daily News and the MSG getting uh, the Yankee rights. And I pitched to him, you know what? Television is the medium of immediacy. And you guys are always a day behind on all the stories. You read the newspapers and you react to that. You guys should have a reporter in the clubhouse. And that person should break the story on your air rather than you reacting to a story that was broken in the, uh, the newspapers. The newspapers can't be immediate. You guys can. You're alive. And he bought it because he had known me from you know, one on one. And so I became uh, the, the, the title of my my uh, my segment without traveling was tomorrow's news today so i still had the daily news but i brought a, a notepad into the clubhouse and i wrote everything down and then i i would read the quotes to al and um then i would write the story for the daily news the only thing i told them that i wouldn't break an exclusive because the daily news obviously was paying me more money and i was that was my primary employer but because i was on msg that allowed people to think maybe he could do radio that's how I got to be asked to try out for the, uh, the, the radio gig. And then I kept doing that while I was on radio. I kept being the MSG reporter, which is what Meredith Morakovitz does for us now on Yes. And John Filippelli, who I didn't know from Adam and didn't know me from Adam, when he was starting the Yes Network, wanted a young guy to be the play-by-play -play guy. And at that point, I guess I was 40. And he had seen me on MSG and thought I had a good presence about me and then wanted me to be the play-by-play -play guy again. Everything was, every domino fell the exact perfect way. So when I sat, there's no way as the nine-year-old I, that I even knew the MSG network would have existed. I didn't know that John Filippelli existed. I didn't know there'd be a yes network. So again, so much luck, so much luck, so much of, you know, they say luck is the residue of design. Branch Ricky said that. I didn't design this. This is a lot of luck. Yeah, the domino certainly fell in your favor. But Michael, is it even more special when you consider you grow up in the Bronx, 
you go to Bronx Science, then Fordham is right there, and you're able to stay in New York. A lot of aspiring sports media members, they have to go elsewhere to kind of get their start and, and get their legs up from under them. So for you, how special was it that you were able to stay in New York and then everything just starts to develop and then you find yourself as the voice of the New York Yankees, something that you've been looking forward to since you were nine? That, that's why, you know, I, I don't walk into Yankee Stadium and like pinch myself and realize how lucky I am. I sit in the booth sometimes and I take it all in because, you know, it's, it's kind of hokey, but I was in the upper deck, the last row of the upper deck behind home plate. That's where I sat for $1.50 when I would go to games. And I realize how fortunate I am to be doing this, a Bronx kid living out his dream. And it, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. And, you, you know, you bring up the fact that I didn't have to go out of town. You know, Mike, Mike Breen went to Poughkeepsie and lived there for two years and made no money whatsoever. And I look at major league baseball announcers that spend years in the minor leagues. And I have such admiration for them because I know I could not have done that. I just could not have handled it. And uh, that's why I probably went into the newspaper business. Cause I was told by a lot of people when I was leaving Fordham, you know, for, if you want to make it in the broadcasting business, you're going to have to go to a small market, work your way back. I was really close with my family. I couldn't picture like leaving New York. And so that probably, erase the, the the idea of broadcasting in my mind but somehow i turned the newspaper gig into broadcasting again very unorthodox but but i do realize how lucky i am because again i you have to know your limitations like i knew i couldn't hit and i knew i was afraid of getting hit by a baseball i knew i would not be able to move to podunk usa and sit there and be the groundskeeper and you know be the media relations director and do the play by play. i knew i couldn't do it i just know myself and so it's not like I quit on the dream, but I said, well, let's take a step back, be a writer and see if something develops from that. And incredibly, it did. A lot of broadcasters at the highest level, they want to go national. They want to be the Joe Buck or the Jim Nance. For you to be someone who gets to connect with the Yankee fan base on a nightly basis or have the pulse of the city in the afternoon on the radio, how special is that compared to an alternative of being national? I, uh, there's, I'll be honest, guys, is there's certainly something in me that always wondered if I could do it nationally. Uh, now that I've gotten older, maybe I've given up on it just a little bit. I got a little bit of a taste of it because uh, ESPN for a couple of years had me do national games on the radio, and those were a blast. And that's actually how I got to meet Aaron Boone. We worked together. You know, I mean, I had met him as a Yankee, but really got to know each other. We did a, an Oakland A's and the Detroit Tigers playoff series. Um, yeah, I, I've always thought about the national angle of it. If, if, if my act, you know, would work nationally, but, um, you know, when I bring that up to people, they go, you know what, being the voice of the Yankees is probably better than national. I, I think Joe Buck has a great gig, so I don't know if that's better. You know, anything could be better than that, but if you're not going to be a national announcer, being the Yankee announcer is, is probably the next best thing. So, um, it's the biggest audience. It's the biggest city in the world. It's the, the most famous franchise in the world. So it's not like uh, I'm taking a step back, but I do envy, you know, Mike Breen to get to do the NBA finals, you know, with the, when you're a local broadcaster in baseball and teams go to the world series, it's like you dated a girl the whole year and you, somebody else takes you to the prom. So that kind of stinks. But the thing that gets me through it is that I get to, I get the chance to call five world series while I was with John, on the radio. So I got that out of my system, but it, it would be nice to actually, you know, be able to do that. But uh, again, it's, it's certainly not a consolation prize doing the Yankee games. Michael, back in November of 2018, you were able 
to receive the Vince Scully Award for Excellence in Sports Broadcasting from WFUV. When you think about your career path and the fact that it started right here at FUV with everything that's happened in your career and the successes, how gratifying was it for you to receive that award when you consider the other recipients from years past? Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you what, I don't, uh, I'm not being humble. I don't belong on that list. If you see the people that won it, I, I don't know how I'm on that list. Um, I'm grateful that I won the award. I, I, I mean, you know, you guys know how I feel about Fordham, but I look at, I look at Vince Scully as a broadcasting God. And I don't mean that to be sacrilegious. He's, he's up on a Mount that nobody's even close to. I mean, there's no Mount Rushmore of baseball broadcast. There's one guy and that's Vince Scully. Every other guy, all the legends, they're at a level below. I mean, for that guy to do what he did uh, into his 90s, I think it was 67 years with the Dodgers, just amazing. And the best part of getting that award was getting that phone call from him welcoming to the club. I mean, that, that was the words he used. And then uh, at the event at Lincoln Center, you know, the video that he sent along, that's, that's a career highlight. I mean, that's, that's probably a bigger deal than, you know, going into the Baseball Hall of Fame, which is, which is not going to happen. But you know, that's just an amazing, amazing honor to be on a, on a list of people that, that are so um, magnificent in, in their talent level. And then the name of the award is a guy that I look up to as a godlike figure in our business. Uh, I'll never forget it. Never forget it. It was, that, it was awesome. Michael, we really appreciate you taking a few minutes to join us and enjoy this next season of Yankee Baseball. Looking forward to it. I hope it's normal. hope we get fans in the stands. That would be really great. Thanks, guys. That's the television voice of the New York Yankees, Michael Kay, also the host of the Michael Kay Show on 98.7 ESPN in New York. One of the best and brightest Fordham and FUV alums. Andrew, while everyone won't be egotistical enough to toot their own horn as to why they got to where they were, everyone we've talked to throughout this podcast series seems to be of the humble breed, which is, of course, a really, really good thing. Michael cited how it was a series of fortunate events after the Post, after the Daily News, that led him to being the voice of the Yankees. And, of course, talent and chops really factors into that equation. But those dominoes certainly played a factor. E-Man, when you take a look through Michael's career, it's almost, it almost seems like fate where, you know, you grow up in the Bronx, your sister goes to Fordham, she just kind of puts you on to FUV, and it just feels like Michael was dealt the best hand, and he made the most of it, and he grew from FUV. He allowed those experiences in the professional environment to really allow him to propel, you know, starting off at the post and then ultimately getting to the Yankees and getting his own radio show. And how about that conversation at the Fordham Rose Hill lunch table, him and Mike Breen, <laughs> I'm going to be the voice of the Yankees. I'm going to be the voice of the Knicks. Hey, both of them came true. And then some. Yeah. And Eman, we had obviously the honor back in December of hosting a Q and a panel with both Michael and Mike. And we just kind of got a bit of an insight, kind of scratched the surface, but here on off the air, being able to bring Michael back in for a follow-up, just great to hear those old war stories and, and taking that trip down memory lane with one of the greatest. When you think about the Mount Rushmore at FUV, Michael Kay is right up there. And it was a pleasure to go back and forth and talk all things FUV. If you like what you heard from Michael Kay, be sure to hit the subscribe button here on Apple Podcasts. You can also catch us on Spotify, wherever you get your shows, and our online home for WFUV Sports, WFUV Sports. 
Sports.org. For this edition of Off the Air and Andrew Posadas, Emmanuel Barbari with you. Big thanks to Michael Kay for coming on the show. We'll catch you next week.